Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who was accused of murdering his son, Paul, and his wife, Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a myriad of alleged crimes, including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded our look at the prosecution's direct examination of SLED Senior Special Agent Jeff Croft. In this installment, we begin our review of the defense cross-examination of Special Agent Croft about this interview. That's all coming up right after the break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. It is the morning of Tuesday, January 31st, 2023, the fifth day of the Alex Murdoch murder trial, with Prosecutor Creighton Waters having concluded his direct examination of Senior Special Agent Croft at the end of the previous day. Judge Clifton Newman invites the defense to question the witness. Cross-examination, Mr. Griffin. Jim Griffin rises on behalf of Alex Murdoch. Good morning, Agent Croft. Good morning, sir. On June 8th, I understood that, that was your first involvement in this case. Is that correct? Uh, yes, sir, that is correct. And, and you went to Moselle on the morning of the June 8th? I was en route to Moselle, uh, got rerouted to the office, and then went and conducted an interview and then back to Moselle. That's right. You interviewed Rogan Gibson and then went to Moselle. That is correct. And what time did you get to Moselle? Around lunchtime when I got, when I got there. And as I understood from your testimony that your, your role... Primarily, it was because in this case is that because you know a lot about guns and ammunition. Did I understand that correctly? That was not my sole role. I was in the search of the residents because of my familiarity with firearms. Yes, sir. And you went and searched the residents with other agents, and we saw those agents, some of them, on the body cam video that played yesterday. Uh, yes, sir. I was in the gun room. And this search was a consent search, correct? That is correct, yes, sir. And you weren't there executing a search warrant, right? Uh, no, sir, I was not. And, and were you aware, though, that there was a search warrant that had been obtained the night before? I was aware of the consent, the search uh, at the incident location. It's, it's common practice that they get a search warrant for to process the scene. Yes. Were there any limitations that you were aware of on the scope of the consent to search? Uh, no, sir. And so, as far as you knew, understood then, and understand today, you or other agents at SLED could have searched that house from top to bottom on the 8th. Is that correct? Other agents went through the residence with family members. And there were no limitations on what the other agents could have looked for, right? Again, I can't say what limitations was placed on them as they walked through the house. I, I was in the gun room. Okay. Well, to your knowledge, did anyone look for bloody clothes or dirty clothes in the house while you were there on the 8th? I was in the gun room, and I was collecting guns and ammunition, sir. Now, now you, you mentioned that you um, 
had been provided some information about the type of ammunition that was used down at the crime scene where Maggie and Paul were murdered. Is that correct? That is correct. And one ammunition was a 300 blackout shell casing. Were you aware of that? Yeah, uh, yes, sir, I was. And, and who relayed the information to you as the type of ammo that was used for the murder of Maggie and Paul? It came from the investigative team. I don't recall exactly who, who called me or who told me the information, but I was relayed the information through our investigative team that was at the scene. All right, so you, you were informed that, you know, look out, see what you can find in the gun room related to 300 blackout. Is that correct? It wasn't limited to specifically 300 blackout. It was a round of interest. Okay. And then the, the other round of interest was 12-gauge, correct? That is correct. And were you given any information as to what specific type of 12-gauge ammunition was used at the crime scene? I knew we had a 12-gauge, what believed to be a turkey load or BB load, and then a buckshot. And um, I'll talk to you a little bit about the 300 blackout ammunition. You, you testified yesterday that the grains, the weight of the ammunition found at the house was 147 grains. Is that right? Uh, that is correct. That's what's on the uh, empty box, which I located. In. Is, uh, is this the empty box, uh, State's Exhibit 213 that you're referring to? That is correct. And this... Uh, I recall this pack of ammo on this exhibit says has a uh, label of Woody's Pawn and Jewelry, $11.99. You couldn't buy this ammunition in July, June of uh, 2021 for $11.99, could you? I don't know what the ammunition cost. Well, you know it was a lot more than $11.99. I, I don't know the price of the ammunition at, at that time. All right. And, and are you familiar, there's basically two types of ammunition for the uh, 300 blackout. There's the supersonic and subsonic? I am, sir. And the subsonic is, is the heavier of the two, correct? That is correct. And that would be a, a 220 grain. Thereabouts, yes, sir. Yes. And the most popular ammunition for hunting is the supersonic, the 147 grain ammunition. You aware of that? I can't say the most popular would be, but... I am aware that 147 grain is used for hunting. And you're aware that the 300 blackout is not a rare gun in that area of Hampton and Colleton County, is it? It's not as common as the General 223 or the AR-15, uh, 308, uh, different caliber rifles. It, it's not as common. But there are plenty out there, correct? I can't testify as to how many is out there, sir. Not, I understand, but it's not the first time you've seen the 300 blackout on June 8, 2021, was it? I had seen one before, yes, sir. And then the 12-gauge, the you weren't given any type of 12-gauge you're looking for. You just, from the information from the crime scene, right? The type of weapon I was looking for? No, yes, sir. No, sir. Were you given information as to the size of the 12-gauge shell? Two-and-a-half-inch, three-inch? It was, uh, I was given, three-inch magnum was what I was given. And that was on the buckshot? I, I was given three-inch magnum of, of Shotgun capable of shooting a three-inch mag. Okay. Now, and we're going to get to some of these shotguns here in a minute, but the Browning Light doesn't even shoot a three-inch shell, does it? It does not. Two and three-quarters what it shoots. Right. And yet you seized it? I secured it, yes, sir. And you brought it here in your courtroom and introduced it in, in this case? I, I did, sir. A gun that couldn't even fire the bullet that killed Paul, right? It did not fire the rounds that was located at the scene. In fact... None of the shotguns that you brought yesterday, according to the ballistic report, your lab analysis, fired the shots that killed Paul. Correct? 
I do not have the lab report in front of me. Well, you certainly know that after June 8th, Sled was diving in ponds and waterways looking for the murder weapons. Isn't that correct? We were diving looking for potential evidence from the scene. Have you ever found the murder weapons? Your knowledge? Objection, Your Honor. That's not the side of the scope of his knowledge. Objections overruled. Not that I'm aware of, sir. And are, are you familiar with what ballistics tests were done on Buster's 300 blackout and whether that was excluded as a weapon used to kill his mother? Again, I am not, I don't have the report in front of me and I'm not able to testify to that, sir. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Defense attorney Jim Griffin continues his cross-examination of Special Agent Croft by asking the witness to identify a series of items that he collected, apparently seeking to emphasize that each item appears to have no connection to the murders of Maggie and Paul Murdoch. You brought these empty box of turkey shells? That is the boxes I collected, yes sir. And they, these were empty? Yes sir, they were. And these were um, found in the trash can? Yes, sir. They were found in a trash bag. Yes, sir. Okay. Exhibit 90 is the, the Browning Auto 5 Light 12 gauge, which we already talked about wouldn't even hold a three inch shell, but there were no shells, no ammo in, in the, the Browning weapon, which is Exhibit 90 you brought to court, right? There was no rounds in that weapon. When you seized it on the 8th, no rounds in it, right? That is correct, yes. Right. The Mossberg model Ulta Mag, which is Exhibit 89, you have a 12-gauge shot shell written in, on the outside. So there was one um, shot shell loaded in this gun, correct? That is correct, yes, sir. And do you remember if it was buckshot or birdshot? It was black. I don't remember what it was. Will you be able to look at it and tell us? Uh, yes, sir. I'm going to hand you exhibit 89 and ask if you can pull out the shot, the ammo in there, and, and tell this jury if that's birdshot or buckshot first. It is a Browning 12 gauge, three and a half inch magnum, two and a quarter, number seven and nine. And that's for hunting turkeys, right? That's my understanding, yes, sir. All right, thank you. Put it back in there. So in the Mossberg, there's one bird shot. Now the other, the Benelli Super Black Eagle Three, had two unfired shot shells, according to your notes on the box. And this is Exhibit 91, is that correct? Yes, sir. And do you recall whether any of these is bird shot? Buck shot? You remember? I would have to look at them again, sir. All right. That was Exhibit 91 for the record. There's a black round in here that's a three-inch number four pellet, and then there's a seven two and a half, two and a quarter ounce, uh, three and a half inch with an 89 millimeter. And those are both turkey loads, right? I it could be used for turkey, yes, sir. Well, let's just be clear. Neither one of those are buck shot, correct? No, sir. And again, these were ruled out as being having any involvement in the murder of Paul, right? Exhibit 91. I can't testify to any lab reports. I don't have the lab reports inside the scope of what I, I did. Was it correct to say, uh, Agent Croft, that you did not find any guns loaded in the gun room or anywhere at Moselle 
that had a birdshot and a buckshot loaded at the same time. The only weapons I've recovered are the weapons that are there uh, with the rounds that we have just looked at. Yes, sir. And if you or another agent in your presence made a representation that we found in the gun room a gun similar loads as that that we found at the crime scene, that would be an incorrect statement, would it? I don't think it would be incorrect to say that there was guns were loaded in a similar fashion using two di different types of ammunition, two different loads. Well, there's no buckshot in any of the, the two guns that you found loaded, correct? Not when we collected them, no, sir. The turkey loads or the bird loads that we just looked at, those, um, the pellets and those are lead, are they not? I would have to look at the actual box that it came in or the uh, pellets that are in it. Some of them are steel, I'm not sure. So do you know the difference between steel and lead? Do I know the difference? Yeah. Why would you have steel versus lead? Steel shot is used a lot in waterfowl hunting, uh, that type of stuff. Uh, lead shot is used for normal everyday rabbit, squirrel, dove. Well, we do have some boxes here, 214. Can you tell us whether this is lead or steel? The Winchester 12-gauge shot lock lead is a turkey load, number four. The Browning box, I do not see it indicated on the box what the uh, ball is or the pellets are. What? Let me ask you, is there a turkey on the face of that box? There is a turkey on the face of the box, yes, sir. Turkey a waterfowl bird or land bird? Uh, turkey is a land bird, sir. And the other box is the same on federal. It's got a turkey on the front. All right. So those three boxes look like they're turkey loads, right? That's what it appears. Did you find any waterfowl <laughs> shell boxes at Moselle on June 8th? I did not collect any waterfowl shell boxes from Moselle. Did you collect any waterfowl unfired shotgun, 12-gauge shotgun shells at Moselle on June the 8th? Not that I'm aware of, sir. Have you ever collected unfired shotgun shells for waterfowl at Moselle in part of this investigation? I do not recall collecting any waterfowl shot. Are you aware, sir, that the shot that blew Paul Murdoch's head off was Winchester dry lock steel waterfowl 12-gauge ammunition? I was aware that we were, that the uh, pellets were steel. Well, you can look at the outside of the, of the spent shell casing and see that it's Winchester dry lock, correct? If I had the shell casing, yes, sir, I could okay. see it. And you know that to be a duck load, correct? I know that it's primarily used for duck load, yes, sir. And you know that's what killed Paul Murdoch? I do know that it was still shot. And you didn't find any similar ammunition at Moselle on June the 8th or any time after that, correct? I did not, sir. Now, you, you were shown pictures of the gun room and a lot of... And I think you testified there were some 25 guns and gun racks? It's roughly 20 to 25 guns. And this is 1,700 acres of hunting land? Yes, sir. And, I mean, did it shock you to see that many guns? And they were all hunting guns, were they not? It did not shock me to see that many hunting guns. And a lot of people in Hampton, Colleton, this part of Low Country, and they hunt with those types of guns. Isn't that correct? Uh, yes, sir. You didn't find anything unusual about the number of guns they had in their house, right? I did not, sir. Thank you. Griffin next pivots to a series of questions related to Senior Special Agent Croft's area of expertise. You mentioned um, that you know 
something about the injection pattern of the 300 blackout. You remember testifying about that? I remember testifying that it ejects to the right and slightly backwards. Griffin then asks Croft to stand and pick up a shotgun from the evidence table and point it towards a door. Croft instead points the weapon towards the ceiling. Show the jury the direction that the shells would go. And I pointed up further. Well, that would be door. great. That's probably safe. The rounds would be ejected from this side across my, would be my right shoulder. And it's a semi-automatic, I mean, you have to pull the trigger each time, is that right? That is correct, sir. And every time you pull the trigger, it shoots a, a shell, ejects off the, toward your right shoulder, toward the rear, right? As long as there's ammunition in the magazine. How far does it go before it lands? <clears throat> Roughly. I can't answer that, sir. Foot, two feet, three feet? I can't testify to how far an ejection, uh, ejected shell is going to expend from the weapon. Can you put it back, please? Yes. But just what way you have it up? We point to the jury, I think they saw it before, let's just be clear. The thermal scope, can you point that out? This would be this item here. And, and you've got to charge that, right? That's sort of a, you've got to plug it in, battery operated of some sort. It would have some sort of power. I don't know if it's a rechargeable battery or battery that has to be replaced. Oh, and the thermal scope is for hunting at night, is that mm. right? It could be used for hunting at night, yes, sir. A regular scope to pick up infrared, it's, it's heat sensitive. It's kind of hard to hunt at night with a regular scope because it doesn't pick up. Scope at night would work, but this is also you. All right, thank you. Yes, sir. Agent Croft, I'm going to show you what's, what went in the evidence yesterday. It's Defendant Exhibit 29, and can you see it from up there? Uh, yes, sir, I can. These, uh, like, marker 7, 5, 6, I'll, I'll just, it's identified on, on the, in the legend over here, but these are 300 blackout shell cases. Do you understand that to be the case? I don't see marker 5 on the printout on the left-hand side there. Well, let's just, just follow along. If, if these are in fact shell casing. From what you just described to the jury, the ejection path of the 300 blackout, where would the person shooting the gun be standing in relation to, to these markers? Six, five, six, and seven. Objection. Prosecutor Creighton Waters objects on the grounds that the witness is not qualified to answer the questions. Judge Newman overrules the objection and Jim Griffin proceeds with the question. If seven, five, and six are shell casings, it would be likely that the shooter would be to the upper side of those rounds. Somewhere near this line in that area? I can't testify to that line or, or any kind of angle of that line, no sir. Understand, but it would be on the side of the line. It, it'd be up in here somewhere, right? It would be on the left-hand side of where those numbers are. It, it would be likely that the shooter would be on the left-hand side of where those numbers are if you're looking at it from where I'm sitting. The shooter would be on the left-hand side of these numbers and a little forward of these numbers, is that right? I can't say because I'm not sure if, if the round, if the ejection hit something on the way out or if, the, if there was an obstruction on the ejection. I don't know. I can't testify to how far they would go. I just know that a normal 300 ejects to the right and slightly backwards. Yes, thank you. Jim Griffin next pivots to focusing on the witness's June 13th visit to the crime scene. You were at Moselle on, on the 8th. I think we've established that. And uh, did you go back on the 13th? I did, sir. And did you go, you went to the house on the 13th as well? I did, sir. Okay. 
And, and, we, and we saw body cam uh, from where you're picking up shell casings around the side door, 300 blackout shell casings around the side door. And I think, was that the 8th when you got the shell casing next to the... <laughs> that was around 2 o'clock on the 8th, a little after 2. Now, jury will have the video if they want to see it, but, but as you're standing out there, you can see the rooftops of the shed building and some other structures down at the kennels where the murders took place. Remember, you can see the rooftops? I would think you could see the rooftops. But that's all you could see, correct? You couldn't see sled agents working around down there by the dog kennels. No, sir, there's planted pines between the residents and the kennels. So the fact of the matter is you can't see people at the dog kennels from the house based on your personal observations, is that correct? From where I was standing, no, sir. Now, you also testified about the location of Maggie's phone, how it was found? Yes, sir. Did you go out there when it was located? Yes, sir, I did. You recall how it was located? Yes, sir, I do. How was it located? Uh, we sent information to the phone company for a ping. The ping was actually 20-something hundred meters, which is a long ways. We then learned that she had find my iPhone on her phone. One of the family members assisted with uh, locating that phone, uh, getting a better location on the phone, and we were ultimately able to find it. So you... you, you <clears throat> Found the phone, Maggie's phone, by family member using Find My iPhone. And I, I think it was John Marvin is the one that assisted us with that. And do you think John Marvin was using Buster's phone to do that? I don't have a clue what he was using. And then when the phone was, was collected, you were provided the password. Remember, you testified the password was provided. We right. were provided the pin to open the phone. Yes. Are you aware that Alec Murdoch provided the pin? to sled so they could open Maggie's phone. Again, I don't know where we where the passcode or pin came from, but we, we were provided a pin. Do you know what a Faraday bag is? Uh, yes, sir, I do. Did anyone have a Faraday bag? I, I did I did not have a Faraday bag that day. Was, what's the purpose of a Faraday bag? Uh, to prevent any tampering from outside sources once a cell phone is collected. And you can put the cell phone inside a Faraday bag so it can't hit Wi-Fi, cell phone towers? Again, I... I it prevents any tampering from outside to, to prevent anybody from being able to communicate with the phone. It helps. Any outside sources. It's a tool to secure the evidence to prevent tampering. It Inadvertent is one. Or, or intentional tampering, right? Yes, sir. It is one tool that can be used. And was Maggie's phone put in a Faraday bag when it was seized on the side of Moselle Road? No, it was not. Did anyone ask or bring up the fact that, hey, maybe we should get a Faraday bag before <laughs> we move this phone? I did not ask. Anybody asking your presence? Not that I'm aware of. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join our next installment as we continue our review of the defense's cross-examination of SLED Senior Special Agent Croft. Also, check out the Crime Story Podcast Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And, if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie and Tholis. It was co-produced and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.